Good evening, Family Church. Welcome again to Sunday Night Live and the next in a series of Building the House. Um, I guess we all desire to see God moving in our local community. And uh, during this time of prayer and fasting, it gives us opportunity to consider those things in our lives that we need to um, to change, um, to allow God to speak to us, um, to give us clarity of what we should be doing, I guess, and, um, and particularly in filling us so that um, we can be useful to God in the coming seasons, um, or more useful to God in the coming seasons. Um, in 2020, Glennis and I um, had, a, had our ups and the downs with regards to the constraints that put, put upon us. But what we did do is we embarked on a, um, a project for um, a building project at home where it was to demolish the garage, uh, rebuild the garage slightly bigger and put a room on top. Now, of course, when you do any uh, projects like that, you should do whenever you do projects like that, you need planning permission, you need uh, building regulations, you need to follow certain uh, rules of compliance to meet those regulations. Um, of course, you need um, good resources, uh, competent people to help to do the work, and uh, you need good foundations. Now, um, I could have, in the spring of 2020, thought to myself, well, I don't need to do that. I'll just uh, get some holes dug, fill it up with concrete and build, build the building. A lot quicker, a lot less complicated, uh, but nevertheless, almost certainly it would have failed uh, and uh, would have resulted in it being demolished and, uh, and having to start again. And um, so that wouldn't have been good, but it is also very much representative of um, how God wants us to build things. He wants us to do it in his way. He wants us to follow his guidance um, and he wants us to do it well. So there are a, another expect, uh, there are a lot of expectations on us um, as individuals. Um, uh, we all um, want to, I guess, come in line with God's plans and provisions. Um, and I've been a Christian for, for quite a number of years and um, I've seen some highs, I've seen some lows, I've seen times where things have gone really well and times when um, I haven't been really uh, in the right place. But nevertheless, uh, through that, one thing I have come to realise is that um, just hoping that things will uh, will work. We're just hoping that God will move isn't enough. Uh, we have to position ourselves correctly. Our hearts have to be right and um, for God to move through us. Yes, he is gracious. Yes, he is merciful, but he is a holy God and he's a righteous God. So um, there is a saying that I've used in work. It's probably an old one. But it is, uh, if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. And I know that's not always 100% true because things sometimes take time. But uh, if we go in, or we're in this period now of prayer and fasting, if when we come out of it, we just revert back to where we were, um, nothing's changed, then do we really expect things to change in our lives um, and um, God working through us any different than he did before? Um, that's for you to make a judgment on. Um, we, all, um, we all need to grow closer to Christ. We all need to have more transformation of our mind. Um, but um, we need, of course, to live holy lives. 
So um, tonight's session I wanted to call uh, the Temple of the Holy Spirit, and I'll explain that uh, what that means, and it hopefully will come clear, clear by the end of this session. Uh, I'm basing it on two particular threads uh, in the Bible. Uh, one is the storyline of Ezra, and the second is the tabernacle. Uh, I'll explain what the tabernacle is later. Um, so I'll start firstly with the book of Ezra, which precedes Nehemiah in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to read <laughs> the whole lot of Ezra. Well, it's not a long book, but I am picking a few particular points out of that book uh, to just show um, God's position and man's position on certain things. So um, in chapter one, um, the king of Persia, um, Cyrus, is told that he's mentioned in prophecy from years before. And from that, he releases uh, a group of Jews to go back to um, Jerusalem um, under a man called Zerubbabel to rebuild the house. And in that context, rebuilding the house is rebuilding the temple. So they set off, um, they're given provisions. There's quite a big group of them that go back. And in chapter three, when they're there, when they arrive, the first thing they do is commission worship. They um, put time aside to worship God and be thankful for the fact that they've returned to, the, to their own land and they have a purpose and a mission. In chapter three, verse eight, um, it says, in the second month of the second year of returning to Jerusalem, they started building. So they didn't jump in quick. They didn't turn up, grab hold of spades and hammers and start building. They took time. We don't know why they took time. It may have been because they um, needed to understand what was needed to be done. They needed to check for resources, to get the right people. They needed materials. They needed to decide whether they're going to get new bricks or reuse the old bricks. Uh, but nevertheless, it was not an immediate start. They took time to dwell on it. And, and I can only assume that that was prayerfully considered um, and they weren't just being lazy. Uh, but soon after that, of course, the land had been inhabited by others and people saw the temple being restored and um, they weren't too happy. So they petitioned the new king in Persia to get it stopped and the king listened to them and the building work of the temple stopped. And then in chapter five, under two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, there's prophecies made that they should continue building. And again, a petition goes up to another new king um, to start or restart the work. And in that respect, the work starts again and they draw the uh, building of the temple to a conclusion. Um, the frame, the, the structure is built. They, in chapter six, dedicate the temple. They reinstigate the feasts. They reinstigate sacrifices. And on the face of it, all is well. Um, however, in chapter seven, Ezra arrives. Uh, the, the man for whom the book is written or named. And he's a priest and his particular purpose is to come back to the temple and to instigate the statutes and the ordinances. And that is the ceremonial laws in effect of how the temple should operate. Now, the first thing they do again is in chapter 821, 
It says, uh, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God and to seek from him the right way for us to go. And in verse 23, God answers the prayers. And I guess from there, then the process continues. And it's more of a, um, not so much of a structural process, but more of um, a relationship process, working with people and establishing the correct ways of operating. Um, sadly, in um, chapter nine, some of the priests, the Levites, come to um, Ezra and uh, say, look, we've got a bit of a problem. Um, we've been here a while and uh, we've married the local inhabitants. And uh, they've married into pagan culture and they've had children. And uh, that creates a problem for Ezra because the Levites should be separate. There are restrictions on who they can marry and they failed. So what happens? The, the priests have a, have a choice. They can effectively resign from being priests and not um, fulfill their obligations and their purpose before God or and sadly to say, they had to consider putting their wives away. Now, of course, I'm not saying in today's world that we, um, if we earnestly seek God, then we put our wives away or, or vice versa, that um, if a, for a woman that she puts her husband away. But uh, I'm looking at the, the consideration around what intermarriage really means. And in that respect, uh, intermarriage is, is a relationship with the world. Now, of course, we live in the world, but we shouldn't be married to the world. And in that respect, we need to consider how much the world influences us, how much we rely on the world's viewpoints to condition what we think and what we do. <coughs> and in that respect, it's um, something that through this period of prayer and fasting that we, we seriously consider. Um, we know that uh, Facebook or social media generally um, can be a big draw on influencing our time, uh, influencing how we represent ourselves, um, what we put out there into the world about our world opinions. And it's something we probably seriously need to consider. But of course, it's not just about Facebook. It's about how we live our lives. So, um, as said, the first thing they went to do when they went back to Jerusalem was to build the temple. That's where they started. Um, and it was through prayer and fasting that they established that. They re-consecrated their lives in the end. And there, therefore, the temple was operating correctly. So that's part one. That's the book of Ezra. And now I want to move on to the second part, which is the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle um, was the dwelling place of God prior to the temple being built by Solomon. Um, God had always desired to be with his people and he commissioned Moses when in the wilderness, gave him very, very clear instructions to uh, build a tabernacle or a dwelling place for God to live. And that tabernacle, um, if you look into it a lot, it's an amazing example of how types of Christ are represented in the Old Testament. 
the positioning of the tribes around the temple or the, the, the tabernacle, the, um, the materials that it's made from, the, uh, the clothing of the priests, the dimensions, um, the materials of the, the, um, the content, and also the type of instruments or utensils that um, were used within that tabernacle area. So what I just wanted to do was very quickly go through the various elements of the tabernacle and specifically relate to one, um, which we'll come to in a moment. And what I'll probably do is go from the front and towards the back and then the back back towards the front to come to the point where I do want to spend a few minutes of focus so that we can understand how that is very relevant to us today. So if you can imagine, the tabernacle um, was a rectangular structure. Um, it was a temporary structure. It was made out of uh, wood, um, skin and fabric. And um, within that, there was one door, only one door. There was one way in, one way out. And you can see that as a picture of Christ. There is only one way to God through Christ. No man comes to the Father except through Jesus. So in the same way for the people, the children of Israel who wanted to um, meet with God, um, they had to go through the door. Uh, they entered into the outer court um, and the outer court was the meeting area uh, where the, the people would bring their sacrifices, where they would meet with the priests, where they would pray, where the sacrifices would be done. Um, and where on the uh, altar, which I'll come to next, the sacrifice would have been laid. And um, whether it's a, a sheep or a goat or, or um, other animals, and there were a few specified in, in the Old Testament, uh, which, was bent, which was then burnt and sent up as an offering to God um, for various reasons. Uh, it could be a, a sin offering, a trespass offering, um, a meal offering. There was a number of offerings that were offered up to God and that would be done in the outer court. Uh, so the first main instrument there is the bronze altar and that's where those sacrifices were done. And that was the first thing you came to when you effectively came into that outer court. Uh, the bronze altar uh, being bronze, apart from it being durable, uh, durable it also represents uh, judgment and the smoke and the fire represents judgment. So that again um, is a, a type of Christ that his uh, offering was sent up to God. It was pleasing to God um, and it was consumed as Christ was consumed um, for us so that we could come into right relationship with God today. The next instrument is the bronze, bronze lava. The lava was a, a big bowl uh, filled with water and that was for cleansing. Again, today that relates to um, the cleansing blood of Christ uh, and also baptism, uh, because we are to go into water and to come out of water. And in that sense, the lava represents that uh, cleansing and renewal and uh, rising into a new life. So those were the two instruments in the outer court. And then we are uh, confronted with a, a smaller tent, an enclosed tent with the top, the outer court was open. Um, and that uh, had two sections to it. The front section was the holy place, 
Um, and the back section was the Holy of Holies, which we would have heard about in the past. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was um, kept and where the mercy seat was. And that is where the, the high priest would go in and make um, petition to God on the people's behalf for their sins. Um, he had to be completely prepared. He had to have got all his sins cleared for himself. Um, he had to follow a lot of cleanliness rules. Um, and then he could go in and seek God. And if he failed in that, then he would drop dead. Uh, very harsh, uh, but that's the way it was. And the other priest would put a rope around his waist uh, in the possibility that the priest could drop dead and they would have to pull him out because they couldn't go in themselves. Now, of course, today that's, that's not true of us. Um, when Jesus died, the vow was ripped to the Holy of Holies and we can enter confidently in, uh, to the Father, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Um, he, um, he's given us a way to uh, have fellowship with, with God, um, intimate fellowship with God, um, and we can stand before him uh, in the righteousness of Christ. So that's the Holy of Holies, but I want to come back to the, 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 the room before that, which is the holy place, and there are three... Um, three uh, particular instruments in that that I want to cover. Um, now, <coughs> that holy place um, is a part of the temple. And I just want to just show you a few examples. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? So we're not visiting a temple <coughs> in today. We are the temple. And where is the temple? It's, it's, it's our heart. It's our heart condition. And 1 Peter 2.9 says, For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So the relevance of that old tabernacle to us today <clears throat> is that we are priests and we reside in a temple. And that temple is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that temple lives in each of us individually. <clears throat> So Romans 12, 1 says, So we can boldly come into his presence. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship or service. And depending on the translation, sometimes it says worship, sometimes it says service, but it's effectively the same thing. So for us to be able to do that, we've got to really know who we are in Christ. And um, that is the big challenge for all of us. Um, we've got to know the truth and the truth will set us free. And we need to come to a position of knowing who we are in Christ. And we've had our head filled from birth <clears throat> with a lot of lies. We've had experiences in life that are not, um, not consistent with God's best for us. Uh, people not being nice to us, us doing silly things. Um, so it's not a given when you become a Christian, automatically you know your true identity. And it's a process by coming to know the truth, to knowing who we are. And um, when you look at the statement in Corinthians, <clears throat> when Paul said, do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? <clears throat> it wasn't a compliment. It was a... Um, a warning to them. It was um, a rebuke because they were not living correctly. 
they were engaged in practices that were not uh, consistent with God's best. And um, in that respect, Paul gave him that warning because they they were temples of the Holy Spirit. They weren't hoping to become one. They were one. And they had to live accordingly, similar to the story in Ezra. Those priests were not operating correctly. Um, if we go back to that quickly, there would have been a period of time before Ezra arrived where, as I said, the, um, the practices within the temple had been restored. But the people doing it were not in the right place. So that had to change. So when we go into the holy place, the three instruments, um, one is the candlestick. It's a golden candlestick, the menorah, and that had to be tended by the priests day and night. And um, that is an example of Christ. Christ is the light of the world. And for us too, we should shine our lights. We shouldn't hide our lights. We shouldn't be embarrassed about what we believe. And we should be a light to our local community because we offer a way for them to come into the knowledge of God and to um, see God work in their lives. Uh, the next item is um, a table. It's called the table of showbread. And there was bread laid on the table. Um, it was um, a very fine flour. And to get fine flour, then the wheat would have to be crushed. Uh, and that's indicative of Christ's sacrifice for us, that his body was crushed for us. And of course, Christ is the bread of life. He's our nourishment. And uh, the priests there had to tend to that bread, make sure it was always kept fresh. Um, and then the third item, which is what I want to relate to now, is the altar of incense, the golden altar. Um, it's made of gold, as all the items in the um, holy place were. They were golden, uh, relating to royalty. Whereas in the outer court, it was bronze, which is more of an earthy, man-related substance. Um, but, and an alloy, it wasn't pure. Um, <clears throat> so the altar of incense sent up a sweet aroma night and day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and for every day of the year. So in 2, Corin um, 2 Corinthians 2.15, it says that um, day and, uh, we are a sweet smelling aroma offered up to God and by Christ. <clears throat> so it's not our works, it's through Christ that we become that sweet smelling offering. And um, we have to recognize that, that's what we are. Um, but it has to be, as we will see in a moment, consistent with what God wants for us and how we should conduct ourselves. <clears throat> now the problem with the coals, they had a particular ritual associated with the coals and that was that they had to come from the brazen altar. The coals that to fuel the incense altar had to come from the brazen altar. Um, and that means, of course, that the source of the incense burning is the result of the sacrifice made in the outer court. And that is true for us today. Our incense is because of Christ. And without Christ's sacrifice, then we have nothing to offer. Paul says he was like smelly rags. So we need to be very conscious of that. Um, our whole um, position in front of God is because of what Christ has done. And it's nothing to do with what we've done. But there is a storyline in, um, in Leviticus 10.1, where two priests, <clears throat> Nadab and Abihu, 
decided that there was a rotor system for priests to go and tend in the um, holy place, uh, and it would have been their turn. And these priests decided that um, probably, and we don't know the reason why, it's obvious they didn't value and understand the significance of the coals because they took coals from another place. They may have been um, just about to start their, their session and um, sitting around a campfire and thought, oh, come on, let's just take, let's take the coals from there. Let's put those on to the incense altar to perpetuate the, the, um, this, uh, the smoke going up, which was infused with um, incense uh, to give a, 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 a pleasing aroma to God. Uh, so that's what they did. <clears throat> now, God is not mocked. And the result of what happened to them was that they, um, they were killed. So, of course, that won't happen to us today. God is graceful. God is merciful. But we do have to be held to account by Christ one day for the works we've done. And any works that we do that is not driven by the Holy Spirit will be just discarded. Um, and that is a shocking thing. I mean, we think we can, we can be very, very busy doing a lot of things, but we need to do it with um, the correct heart and um, being motivated and um, directed by the Holy Spirit. So how does that relate to us today? <clears throat> Firstly, we need to recognise that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and our lifestyle should be um, consistent with that of the priest, that we should be separate, we should be holy, we should be consecrated, and we should um, be acceptable to God in our conduct, in what we say and in what we do. Um, we need to recognise that we should continually burn as a sweet-smelling offering to God, not just in the one and a half hours, two hours at church when we go, uh, when we can go back, uh, but 24-7 every day of the week. Um, is that um, sweet-smelling savour the same quality when we're in work and we have a disagreement with our boss, when we're at home and we may fall out with our partner, wife, husband, um, or um, when we're playing sport and things don't go well, uh, because it's, it, it's a perpetual um, aroma to God. It's not just when we walk through the door of church. Um, one important thing, uh, we're not meant to live in the outer court. Uh, that is the place where the people met, where they spoke to the priests, where they prepared the sacrifices. Um, and us as priests, our true service was in the holy place. And the same for us. Um, it can be very easy when you become a Christian that you're quite content with um, being reminded of the sacrifice of Christ, being reminded of the importance of baptism, yet never move into a place of true worship. Um, we've got our bus ticket to heaven. We're saved. We're all okay. But God wants us to be effective in our communities. He wants us to worship him, not because he's um, a crazed person who just needs us to love him all the time, but because he knows, apart from anything else, that us separating ourselves and allowing God to work through us is the best thing for us. Because if we don't do that, we're going to be influenced by the world. Um, we also have to realise that he is our way into worship. 
It's not how we want to worship, although there's different expressions of worship. It has to be sourced in the knowledge of what Christ did for us, um, that we in ourselves cannot offer anything that is of worth. But it is through his Holy Spirit that guides us, leads us, um, that we can be effective for God's purposes. So therefore, we can't do that in our own strength. Um, we need, therefore, to live consecrated lives and uh, honour the sacrifice that Christ has done for us. Um, in Psalms 127, 1, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, we labour in vain. Um, and we need to recognise that whatever we do in our own strength, strength is, is of no value. Um, of course, we need people to serve. Of course, we need uh, Javalicious. We need people welcoming people into church. Of course, we need all that. We need <clears throat> set up activities. But for us to be truly useful for God, then we need to um, submit our lives to him. Um, within the local community, there will be people who are doing food banks um, and helping the poor and the homeless. We should do that. It's the, what is the church? It, that's what the church is there for. But many charities do that and they're doing a very, very good job. So we should do a very, very good job, but with the leading of the Holy Spirit, because we can then speak into those people's lives and not just fulfill the immediate need, but give them a hope for the future as well. And that's what we need to really, really consider. Um, Moses in Exodus, Exodus 33, 15, he states, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. We must therefore be careful that we don't just do things in our own strength. And I know we're probably very keen to get back to church, to go back to normal, to start enjoying things the way we did it. But we have to use this time of prayer and fasting to, um, to change uh, and to continue to do so. So in closing, we've got to listen to his um, small voice. Um, in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it's a famous thing that was a part of a musical, a Christian musical years ago. Um, and it says, if my people, which are called by my name, should humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and will heal their lands. And that's what we need to really consider. And there's a number of points in there of responsibility on our part. I've read some bits on repentance, uh, not repentance, on revivals. Um, and it's very obvious that for revivals to be effective in a community relies on a number of things. One is unity, prayer, repentance and allowing the Holy Spirit to move. And we need to really consider that because that's what um, revival has as its trademark. And revival collapses when those things fall into disrepute. So that's it. It's um, a challenging topic. It's about our responsibilities. It's not just about works. Um, the temple was built first. Uh, a place of worship was established. And then in Nehemiah, things could proceed and the, the city walls were rebuilt. And we want to take back our community. We want to extend God's influence throughout our local community and through Great Britain as a whole. But we need to get the temple right first, the temple within us. So I just pray that that has been useful. Um, I pray that um, 
not that what I've said, but I hope the Holy Spirit has taken some of those words and implanted them in your heart and challenged you. And um, that this remaining part of the prayer and fasting will be beneficial. And um, I just pray that look forward to seeing you all again, hopefully in the not too distant future. God bless and uh, thank you very much.